Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Last week, we were talking about foundations. We're going to talk some more about that this week. Uh, I, w- I want to go into something else. The Lord spoke to me on Tuesday morning uh, about foundations, uh, something that I want to share with you. Uh, but uh, last week, we were talking about getting in the Word and, and talking about how, how can we... Uh, get our own root system. And, and just for those of you that weren't there, I was talking about this tree in my yard. I got this tree in my yard, beautiful tree. Uh, it was right next to one of my neighbor's beautiful trees. And I always worry about that tree when the storms come because the root system is all ab- across the, the top of the ground because we have to irrigate our, our lawns. We irrigate our lawns in my neighborhood. And so our trees have never had to dig down deep. They always just drink from the water on the surface. And a storm came through. You, you know, we've had several really nasty storms in the last couple of years. And my neighbor's beautiful blue spruce, it was about probably 15 and a half feet tall. That thing tumbled over, the big root ball fell up because it didn't have to dig down deep for its root system. So the luxury of having water fed to it made it susceptible to the storm. Let me say it again. The luxury of having water fed to it made it susceptible to falling over in the storm. And we as believers can fall prey to the same thing. This Sunday morning is irrigation system. We're gonna, I'm just going to pump some water in you. I'm going to teach you the word. You're not having to dig for it. And rightly so. There's a place for teaching in scripture. But John was very specific. He said, you have, you have no need of a... He didn't say no need. He said, you do not have need of a teacher. You have an anointing that will teach you. Now, you've got to take the whole counsel of God. God is not saying teachers are irrelevant because he also says that he gave some to be teachers. What he's saying is, you, you, you take what Paul said, he gave some to be teachers, and what John said, you don't have a need of them. He's saying you're not dependent on these people. That we've got to learn to dig our own well. You've got to learn to mine out the word for yourself. Take your roots and dig them down deep and find that water source in the book for yourself. And so I told you about this thing called the Bible Project. Uh, How many of you have checked that out? Raise your hand. All right, here, this is for the rest of you. We have a video this morning, Dan graciously put together, so we can look at the Bible Project. So I don't know which screen to point at. So if you live in ancient Bible times, odds are you live under the authority of the king. Of course, you can go to the Bible tab and simply read. 
Scan the QR code to download the Bible Project app or search for it on your device's app store. Thank you, Dan. So I want to encourage you, download that app. You can go to the, uh, the YouVersion Bible. That It also interfaces with that. Uh, Life Church out of, uh, what is it, uh, I think Edmonton, Oklahoma. Uh, they have created the YouVersion Bible online. It's an app and it's tremendous. And so they interact with each other. We have no excuse in this day and age. And so I want to encourage you, check that app out because what it does is it gives you these little video overviews of the scriptures. It'll take, for instance, you can take, you can pull up the book of Isaiah and it'll show you how Isaiah's split into two halves. They'll have, and while the teacher is explaining it, there's a little drawing that will go out and they'll graph it all out for you. And it's just a very helpful tool so that you can begin to get a, a working understanding of the scriptures. It's very important. We don't want to just be the people that are listening for the voice of God, but not availing ourselves to the word of God. And so we need to be going after the written word, the prophetic word, so we can worship the living word. And all three are important. But the foundation, what we judge it all by, our subjective experiences are judged by the written word. And so we need to get familiar with that. So I wanted to, that was a shameless plug for last week's message. Let's get into this one. All right. Now, this, uh, Tuesday morning, Tuesday through Friday, we have prayer meetings here. Tuesday morning, we meet seven to eight. Wednesday, six to eight. Thursday and Friday, seven to eight. And Friday is live worship. And so there's a group of us get together every week. And I think it was Tuesday. It may have been Wednesday. I was praying and uh, just still mulling over the message. Uh, it used to be in our old building. We used to have three services a weekend. And I love that because by the time I preached the message the third time, I was really ready to preach it. Now I was ready to preach. I thought, now I can, and, and uh, I was wanting another service. And so it's kind of, you know, I'm, I'm only preaching, well, I'm, I'm leaving here to go preach at another church this afternoon. So thank God. It, uh, but it's, there's something about being able to express those things uh, and just flesh those out and, and interact with the word of the Lord. And so I do that during prayer. I'm still thinking about the last message while I'm preparing the next one. And uh, as I was thinking about the whole thing of root systems, and we were talking about how we're susceptible when we have shallow roots, we're susceptible to storm. And I was talking to my dad on Monday, and he made this comment about how redwood trees lean against each other in a storm. And when he said it, I thought, there's something there. So as I went into prayer Tuesday morning as I was praying, the Lord spoke to me and he said, there's a reason you don't see redwoods growing alone. Now you can, you can have it happen, but they will never reach their giant potential. There's a reason that redwoods are the tallest trees in the world. Matter of fact, the tallest tree in the world is somewhere in the, on the Pacific Northwest in a, a state forest. They won't even tell you where it's at because they want to protect it, but it's almost 400 feet tall. It's an amazing thing. Redwoods have enormous potential to grow to this huge magnitude, but you will never see them reach their potential alone. So the Lord began to talk to me about how giants are grown in clusters. Giants have to run together. You'll never see a full-grown redwood as an individual tree, it takes a forest of redwoods. And the reason, so I, I, I began to check this out and you know, the Lord was right. Can you believe that? 
That was amazing. So you look in, you look at redwood trees and it really contradicts what I said last week. Now here's the thing about illustrations. No illustration will be, will match up on every point. Otherwise it's not an illustration. It's the reality itself, right? And so that, that's my, that's my way of getting out of my, contradicting myself last week. So here's the deal with redwoods. Redwoods have a very shallow root system compared to their, the, the height of, the, of a redwood. They go down somewhere between 6 to 12 feet deep. Now, that's no small thing, but when you understand, most trees will have that and even deeper, and they, they don't get anywhere near as high as a redwood. The other thing a redwood doesn't have is a taproot. Most trees will put down a deep taproot, and out of that it will branch forth and have other, other roots. But a redwood does not have a deep taproot. It has shallow roots that begin to reach out. But here's the key to redwoods. Because redwoods are so massive. Some of them, you've seen pictures as a child. Some of you have seen redwood trees. Uh, they're, they're in a very unique place. They're out on the northwest coast from Oregon down into northern California. And you've seen pictures where they'll literally carve a tunnel through them and drive a car through them or stand out. I mean, they're, they're massive trees. The problem with that is the shallow root system and the magnitude of their reach gives a lot of surface space for the wind coming off the ocean to press against them and topple them over. So the way they stay, keep from being toppled over is their shared root system. They interlock their, their roots together and they hold one another up in the storm. And that is the key, the secret to a redwood. So whereas last weekend we're talking about foundations and we're saying you need it in the word, this weekend we're talking about foundations and we're saying you need each other. We've got to have community. The fact is giants of the faith are never developed alone. There are no lone rangers in the kingdom. We need one another. Now you may be able to reach a certain stature alone. There are people who have been isolated by circumstances and they walked with the Lord. But I'm telling you, the potential within you will never be realized without being locked in with other believers. Your root system has to be interlocked, interlaced with other believers. And that is the secret of a redwood tree. Their magnitude is what holds them secure is interlocking their root system. The root system is the hidden life. It's the life that other people don't, the public doesn't see. It's like your root system is your relationship with God and the tree above is your ministry expression before man. And your public life is dependent upon your private life. We've all seen it where men or women of God, they, they seemingly have this great public expression, this great powerful ministry, only to succumb to a storm and moral failure because beneath the surface, their root system couldn't sustain what was going on above the surface. And so, yes, we need the word, and we do, but we also need one another. Now, this is a shameless plug for life groups. We're going to be getting life groups back off the ground in the next couple of weeks. Larry and Cheryl, I mean next couple of months, Larry and Cheryl Schrader are taking that over and uh, they're heading it up. We've had several meetings about it and we are going to relaunch life groups and we need to be doing life together. 
Christopher just got back from Brazil. He went with Leif. Leif was doing a conference with Heidi Baker and Randy Clark. So Christopher went to serve Leif, and uh, it's a great, great time. And uh, he was telling me about different stories. But one of the things he talked about was this one pastor. I believe his name was Abe. I forget his last name. Huber, I believe his last name. H-U-B-E-R. And uh, Randy was introducing him. He, they were in his church in Sao Paulo. And when Randy introduced him, he said, I talked to Pastor Abe a couple of years ago, and he was going to go into Sao Paulo. And he told me, we have a couple hundred people gathered, and we're going to go and establish a church. He said, we're going to grow it to about 50,000, and then we'll go to the next city. A few years later, Randy comes back, and Randy said, they now have 70,000. And he said, Pastor Abe, he said, correct me if I'm wrong. And Pastor Abe said, yeah, he said, you know, we, did, we, we went deeper on the research and we found that a lot of people were going to two life groups, so it's really more accurately about 50,000. To which Randy said, well, I don't even want to hear about that. No, I'm just kidding. He said, yeah, I mean, that's an amazing thing. 50,000 people in just a matter of a few years. But his strategy was this. And he told Randy, and this was very intriguing to me. He told Randy, he said, Randy, I want you to come in every other year. We appreciate what you carry. But because of, I'm putting words, I'm interpreting what I think the guy meant. I don't know. But what he was saying was, it seems, is saying, Randy, what you carry is so extravagant, the, the, the raw power of God on your life, that it could easily overtake the culture of church growth and discipleship that we've established. So rather than allowing that to happen, what I'd like to do is have you come in every other year and equip our people. Because their, their whole strategy is this. They'll go in and they will do their public services then they'll have their small groups, and then everybody for a season is mentored one-on-one. -on -one. And he said that his, his conviction was that the reason a lot of believers never mature is because of besetting sin in their life. They have a secret sin that they're struggling with, and they're not going to confess that in the public meeting, and often they won't confess that even in the small group. But if you can get them alone, one-on-one -on -one to be mentored, and they can get that off of their chest, then they can begin to overcome those things, come out of that shame, and begin to be established and grow up in the faith. And so their strategy is, Everybody is mentored one-on-one, -on -one, they meet in small groups, and then they have their corporate meeting. And they're establishing churches with this model all over the world. And pretty successful at it, I'll say. There's something about us having a shared life. We talked a few years ago about this concept. You know, people will use this terminology, how's your personal relationship with Jesus? Do you have a personal relationship with Jesus? And that is a valid question. That's an important question. But I would propose to you just as valid is the question, how's your corporate relationship with Jesus? Do you have a shared life with Jesus and others? Are there other believers that you're confiding in and that you're going after the things of God with? We all need that in our life. You know, it's interesting if you look at redwood trees... God created them to be the tallest trees in the world. But he also created them with shallow roots. To me, that's very, very intriguing. God is the designer of all life. Let me back up and put it this way. 
Science is not at odds with faith. In fact, science was begat from Christian faith, or faith was the mother of modern science. Because the conviction was the great founders of modern science were all believers. And they understood that if there's a designer, then there's a design. And if there's a design, there's a logic behind nature that we can study and we can trace down the, the, the roots to and we can understand how creation works. We can harness the power of creation. It's just another way of saying that there's the law of design, that God designed things in a certain way. And if he did it in a certain way, there's a reason for that. So to me, I look at the fact that the tallest trees in the world have abnormally shallow roots. And I would ask myself, why? And I would propose to you that it is prophetic in and of itself. Scripture says that nature itself declares the glories of God. And God is trying to communicate to you and I that to reach our potential, to become great, to become giants, we can only do it together. There is a cap, there is a limit on how high you can go as an individual believer. You can only tap into so much of your potential alone and there will be a limit. But if you are to move into all that God has put within you, you've got to begin to wrap your hidden life into the hidden life of other people. Pastor Kara was telling me about a book called uh, The Secret Life of Trees, I think it was. Is that what it's called? The Hidden Life of Trees. So I downloaded uh, a sample copy and I didn't order the book because I didn't get through all the sample. I'm a cheapskate. But I'll usually, I'll, I'll download samples and I'll read it and mark it all up. And think, now I gotta buy the rest of it because it was so good. So I'm gonna end up buying this one. But The Hidden Life of Trees, and it was talking about how trees have their own communication system. And this is very, very true. What he was, this author was talking about, he's a, a guy that oversees some of our preservation forests out in the West coast. Uh, he, he's in charge of it. And so he studied trees for many years. And he shows how trees communicate with one another through their root system and even through their leaves. And this is very true of redwoods. They have, their, their leaves are intertwined and they even share nutrients. In fact, redwoods are unique in that, what well, they call them fairy circles is what they call. When a redwood tree dies, the stump will actually, the root system will be, continue to live and it will raise up new tree trunks out of the stump and they'll just grow up new trees. And they'll be feeding off of, until they can gather their own food, they will feed off the root system of these other trees. And so there's this shared life. Matter of fact, they've studied the, the tops of trees. And if you fly over, you'll notice that the trees, they'll grow out until their leaves are almost touching and then they stop. So that the reach of the leaves are limited by their fellow trees around them. And it's because they have a vested interest in the design of heaven. They have a vested interest in not crowding one another out. Because they need one another to thrive. Because whether they intuitively know it, we don't know. Whether they intuitively know it or not, they need each other to exist in order for them to continue to exist. Now some of you are thinking, Pastor, do you really think trees can think? I'm not so sure. I don't know. 
Years ago, I read about this guy who was a polygraph expert for the FBI. And uh, he was, being a governmental worker, he was bored. I, I shouldn't have said that. that it, uh, but he was, he was sitting around his office one day and he thought, I wonder if I hooked up these electrodes because polygraph, the, the, the science or the theory behind polygraph is they're going to test the uh, temperature fluctuation and your moisture and all that because the, the theory is this, that you may lie with your mouth but your body will tell on you. And so they measure the fluctuations in your physical body saying that your body's going to be at odds with itself. It's going to be, it's going to, you know, it's going to rat you out. And so uh, he thought, I wonder if I were to put some electrodes on this rubber plant and pour water on it, how long will it take for the leaves to know that the roots got water? So he began to toy with it. I don't know that the polygraph instrument you know, reflected that, but he thought, I wonder if I burned a leaf. And when he thought that, it went... He didn't do it yet. He thought about burning it, which set him on a track. He wrote a book about it. I don't remember the name of the book, but you can Google this stuff. And uh, so he went on this long series of, of uh, experiments with plants. Like one of the things he did is he had two plants and, two, and, uh, and, and then he had the, the polygraph machines in isolated rooms and pe- the testers were sitting there and a guy would come in and talk to the plant. And he'd go over and talk to the one plant and then he'd shred one of the branches off and just rip it. And I was like, the plant was freaking out, but so was the other one. Then the, the murderer, the plant mutilator, would leave the room and another guy would come in And the plants would just be docile in their response. But then the plant mutilator would enter back into the room and they'd start responding. Now, we don't know how all of that works, but we do know the scriptures say that the trees of the field clap their hands. They glorify God. All of creation groans for the revealing of the sons of God. There is more going on in the world than you and I understand. All of creation declares his glory and is instructive to you and I. And so we have this phenomena of these large trees that need one another and they serve one another so that they can sustain their life and together they grow up to their full potential. Now you can try to grow a redwood in Iowa. It may or may not make it, but I guarantee you it will not grow to the magnitude that it does on the West Coast. In fact, the East Coast trees are like at least 100 feet shorter than the large trees out on the West Coast. Even Even when you have some of the same variety, the trees grow much bigger on the West Coast. And the reason is because of climate. There are certain climates that are more conducive to growth. Let me just let that settle there. I'm preaching this morning, okay? I'm not just giving you a lesson on trees. There are certain climates that are more conducive to growth. In fact, for plants to grow, it demands that plants be growing. Saying, what are you talking about? In order for photosynthesis to happen, it takes a plant. But if that plant can secure itself, 
then it actually creates an environment where it's pulling the moisture in in the form of clouds. That's why we talk about uh, scorched earth or when people deforestization. When they remove all the trees, what it actually does is it creates a desert. Some of the large deserts of Africa used to be, have a lot of green life in them. But they tore up the, the trees, cut them all down, and it actually created a desert. Matter of fact, when I was in South Korea, we were doing a conference over there and we went and saw the demilitarized zone and there's this one observation deck. You stand in South Korea and you look into North Korea and there's this, this really weird deal that North Korea built this pretend city. It looks like from a distance, it looks like this elaborate state-of-the-art city. And at night, all of a sudden, a light starts at the bottom and lights up this whole skyscraper. And in reality, there's no floors in it. The only people that live there are a few caretakers. And it's just all for display. They're wanting to make it look like North Korea is so productive and so advanced when in reality, it's a cardboard city. It's plywood city. And I remember standing on that observation deck and looking out over the, the land and I was struck by two things. Number one, when we went to South Korea, it is so advanced. It makes us look like we're, we're still using push-button phones. I mean, everything is electronic. Let me just say that there was more electronics on my toilet seat in the hotel than in my whole house. I mean, this, this is an advanced place. And then you look into North Korea, and it was like scorched earth. It was baked. And what had happened is the grandfather of the present ruler, because they call him the Trinity, they worship them as God, the father, the son, and now the, the grandson uh, occupies the throne. The grandfather had come in during the, the revolution and they had cut down all the trees for firewood and it literally killed the land. I've never seen such a vivid picture of cursed land in my life. I mean, there's this lush, prosperous land of South Korea and then there's this boundary line and it's brown, just baked, cursed. But there's a scientific reason for it, not just a spiritual one. And I believe, I believe both do come into play. But if you don't have plants, you're not gonna be able to pull in the clouds. Here's the thing, this, this is my point. You can look at it as revival. If you can secure revival temporarily and you steward it right, you can have it permanently. You can have the hot, moist atmosphere of the spirit permanently. Maybe not to the magnitude because revival is disruptive and there are seasons where there's more extreme outpourings and it's between the outpourings that are the real crucial thing for the church. Okay, there are ebbs and flows of the Spirit, and that is necessary for our spiritual lives. But what revival brings are those outpourings so that the seeds that we already have can take root and begin to grow. And if we steward them right, you can actually create a garden out of a desert. Matter of fact, Psalm 84 talks about that. It talks about they went through the valley of Baca, and they made it a place of springs. And then it goes on. Let me, let me read it to you. Psalm 84. 
Look at verse, okay, verse, well, this is a great psalm. I'm going to read a few verses. I'm not going to comment on them, but this is a great passage. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing the praise. Selah. Now what he's not saying is that the birds find their rest around the throne. What he's saying is even the birds have a rest. I want my resting place to be in your presence is what he's saying. Then in verse 5 he says this. Blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose heart are the highways to Zion. In other words, you can create the pathways to the throne of God in your heart. You'll note this with worship leaders or even with intercessors that will get up and release a prayer. I noticed this last week with Vicki McKim. She prayed out one day and there was authority on her prayer. And I could tell there's a well-worn path to the throne in that woman's heart. You can see it with worship leaders. They'll get up and they'll begin to worship. They'll begin to lead. And it's like there's a well-worn, there's a path already laid in their heart that you and I can enter in on. And because of what they've established in the spirit, we can ride in on their secret life with God. So we lay those highways in our heart. We, we develop even those neurological pathways, if you will, that you can acclimate your mind. The psalmist says, my heart and my flesh cry out. They had been so acclimated to the presence of God, their flesh longed for it. Saw Natalie Hoover this morning. Wave at everybody, Natalie. It's so good to see her. And uh, she was saying that, uh, she said, it's, she said, it's, I know we're supposed to be home. They, her and her husband, Bob, were elders here for a number of years. And just, uh, we just miss them so much. But they went out to help Bob's father with the church his grandfather established in West Virginia. And uh, so they're out there. And, but she said, I came back here and it's like I just entered back and I feel at home in the presence. There's an acclamation of our heart to the things of God that when we step in, it's like, ah, oh, this is home. That's what he's talking about. Okay, so he goes on. Blessed are, those, blessed are those whose strength is in you and whose, whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca or uh, uh, the, the valley of bitterness, they make, the, it make it a place of springs and the early rain also covers it with pools. What's he saying? There's a valley of Baca that we actually... We open up springs and the springs in the ground will actually create an environment, a moist environment that will produce growth that will pull in the next cloud. So there's an environmental dynamic that if we learn to create something in the earth, it actually becomes something that will pull in and attract the next move of God. You can see this in Israel. Israel was a very barren land. Today, it's a very fruitful land because what they did is they began to irrigate the ground, create greenery, and it literally pulls in the clouds now. They created an environment that attracts outpouring. You can do the same as an individual, but only so much. You can't plant one tree in your backyard and expect it to pull in a cloud. What you need to do is, you, there's a reason they speak of rain forests. They don't speak of rain trees. The rain forest, 
literally pulls the clouds in and creates that dynamic where the, 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 it's called the hydrological cycle. I remember telling Kathy this one time, my wife, I was, I was studying this and the Lord had spoken to me out of Isaiah where it says, my word will not return void. As my ways are higher than your ways, so my word will not return void. And it says, like the, 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 the snow and the rain, it will fall on the earth and will not return to me without doing its purposes. So I began to study that. And I, man, I found out all this stuff about the hydrological cycle. And I was excited, you know, I'm thinking, I got revelation. So I said, Kathy, listen to this. And I told her, she said, yeah, I know. It's called the hydrological cycle. And she explained it all to me. She said, I taught that in homeschool. I thought, I want to be homeschooled. Where did I miss all this stuff? I checked out when I was in school. It's amazing. Nature itself tells us how this stuff works. And it's a picture of the Christian life. That as we become the planting of the Lord, the oaks of righteousness, we become those clusters of giant redwoods together. We drink in the rain. It goes into the ground. We pull it up through our roots and we emit it through our leaves, and it, cre it releases moisture into the environment that then gathers in clusters called clouds, and it releases the rain again, and it becomes this hydrological cycle. And we can actually create, out of a desert place, a place of abundance in rain. We can create a forest. But that only happens when we run together. When we pull on one another. Now, it's way too late and I've got to just read a few things to you. So what he's saying here is this, that we can make it a place of springs that actually pull in the clouds. That's what the psalmist is saying. Now, let me just read you a couple lines out of this tree, the hidden life of trees. Why are trees such social beings? Why do they share food with their own species and sometimes even go so far as to nourish their competitors? The reasons are the same for human communities. They, there are advantages to working together. A tree is not a forest. On its own, a tree cannot establish a consistent local climate. It's just another way of saying spiritually, you cannot establish the culture of heaven alone. It is impossible to have culture as an individual because culture is shared values and you gotta have someone to share it with. You can have revelation, you can break into things, but you will never create the climate conducive to growth that you will have with other people if you learn to do life together. Together, many trees create an ecosystem that moderates extremes of heat and cold, stores a great deal of water, and generates a great deal of humi humidity. All right, I want to just read you a couple, couple of notes here, and then I'm going to land this. There is a climate that is necessary for the growth of giant Christians, okay? You can grow to a certain degree alone. But there's a climate, a, a, a climate necessary and there's a relational necessity that both must be met. And then there's one other thing that is also necessary. Redwoods demand a wet climate and the irony is that there is a tipping point where the environment which produces plants will in turn reproduce the environment. In other words, it becomes self-sustaining. 
what God desires for the outpouring of the Spirit, when God pours out His Spirit on a church, is that we learn to steward that in such a way that we're no longer dependent upon another rain to happen, that we actually create that happening. That we create an environment that becomes self-sustaining. That, that rainforest environment. And that comes with living together. We talked about this a number of years ago. I had an encounter with the Lord where the Lord showed me, uh, began to speak to me about Psalm 133. Psalm 133 talks about how it's good and pleasant when believers live in unity together. He gives us two analogies. It's like the oil that flows down Aaron's beard, even to the edges of his garment. So there's an anointing that comes. But then he says, is as if the dew of Mount Hermon would fall on Mount Zion. And he begins to use this picture of dew. And he's saying that there's something we touch in unity that isn't touched in the rain. Now we need to understand that Throughout scripture, we have this analogy of water being a symbol of the spirit. Isaiah speaks of the wells of salvation. Jesus spoke in John 7 about the rivers of living water flowing from our belly when the spirit would be given to us. So the picture is this. We get saved and we drink from the well. When we get baptized in the Holy Spirit, we release a river. Jesus in that passage says, all who are thirsty come, drink, and a river of living water will be released from you. What is received as a drink is released as a river. You become a source of supply. So we have these analogies. But then we have this, this picture of outpourings of the Spirit. Zechariah talks about pray for rain in the time of rain. There are seasons of outpouring. And those are seasons of tremendous movings of the Spirit. And that is a wonderful thing. Matter of fact, you need to be replenishing your river through environments with outpourings or your riverbed can dry up. But then we have this interesting analogy of the dew. The dew is that it's literally the environment of heaven. Again and again, you'll see this phrase in scripture, the dew of heaven. It's the clouds descending in the form of fog and depositing the invisible, unseen moisture in the air gets to a tipping point. It becomes so humid that it, the invisible becomes visible and it drops into the visible realm in the form of droplets. And we call it dew. And what the psalmist tells us is there's a dynamic in living in unity together that we create a hot, moist environment where that begins to be deposited. And he's saying that it, we're not dependent upon rain, but we access a humid environment that's actually created by living in unity together. It's really what redwood trees do and what the Amazon forest down in Brazil does. And so there's this environment that's created that actually fuels growth. And there's a tipping point at which it just becomes self-sustaining. It's no longer crying out for those things. It begun, begins to be an engine in and of itself. There is a relational necessity to growing large. The climate alone will not sustain a redwood. 
It demands other redwoods. You can actually grow redwoods in other climates, but not to the magnitude of the Pacific Northwest. It is because the humid climate, humid climate is conducive to that growth. The fog coming off the ocean creates the moist environment through fog-laden afternoons and evenings. And so afternoons and evenings, the clouds come in in the form of fog and begin to deposit. And it creates that moist environment that enables those trees to grow together and grow upward. Ironically, the environment that produces the climate that spurs the growth also produces the gale force winds which threaten it. But redwood trees have a secret weapon. Their interconnectedness with other redwoods. What am I saying? There's a reason that redwoods grow in that unique area. Because it's from the climate coming off the ocean which produces that fog. But the other thing that comes off the ocean is those gale force winds. And that's what threatens a tree that's so large. So God in his wisdom created large trees with shallow roots that are drinking off the the environment that comes off the ocean but is also threatened by that environment so they lock their roots together and they can withstand. And in fact, often... Ship masts were made from those peripheral uh, redwoods, the trees that were on the edge and that took the brunt of that wind because there was a, a strength that was developed in those tree trunks that they could withstand the, the gale force wind. Matter of fact, the very thing that threatened their existence in growing was later on uh, harvested by those trees to move precious cargo. Because they had become resistant to the wind, they could be used as ship masts that could handle the, the, the wind on their sails and they could move cargo very quickly. The very thing that threatened them prepared them for their destiny. The same is true for you and I. God will put us in situations where we are threatened and redwoods would never be able to grow to the magnitude they are alone on the the northwest coast of our nation because of the wind coming off the ocean. The very environment that makes them possible also is their greatest threat. And the key to withstanding that is their their relatedness. And God will put you in situations which are a threat to you and the only way for you to make it through is through a relationship with other believers. And God will intentionally design your situation so that you will not make it alone. You will be forced to reach out to other believers. And if you don't learn to do that, you'll end up succumbing to the winds of life. In fact, there's another threat to a lot of trees out there. You remember the, the, uh, the fires that took place out in California. What was it, last two years ago, I think, in all the forest fires? Well, they've studied redwood trees, and they find these darkened rings in there because redwood trees are especially resilient to forest fires. In fact, they actually fuel growth uh, because the... the uh, well. Years ago, I did a, did a study on photosynthesis and germination of seeds, you know, where Jesus teaches in Matthew 13 about the seed of the word. And I found that there's 
two ways in which seeds release their life. Seeds are amazing things. They are little, compact, uh, what's transferable little packets of life. You can carry an entire forest or an entire harvest in your pocket. It's an amazing thing. And that was right from the first chapter of Genesis, that seeds will reproduce after their own kind. Matter of fact, you can't understand the kingdom and you can't understand God's world without looking into seeds. It's an amazing thing. And most seeds are broken out. They're, they're, uh, they launch into germination. Their hard shell is broken so that they can release through water. And there's, there's a temperature component and a water component. So what happens is a seed can lie dormant for many, many years. Matter of fact, they found rice in some of the little vials in the pyramids that are thousands of years old. So it, uh, put it in the ground and it grew. It's an amazing thing. Matter of fact, a few years ago, out in uh, our, the western parts of the United States that are desert, arid environments, we, they experienced what is called the, arid, or the, the desert bloom. There's seeds that lie under the ground of deserts for sometimes for decades. And then one year they'll have flash floods and all of a sudden there's these beautiful gardens, hundreds of acres of, of flowers that bloomed because the seeds were lying dormant. So what happens with the seed is that it soaks in water and when it soaks in so much water, it expands and the inside gets bigger than the shell and cracks the shell open and the life is released. That's how most seeds are are broken out of dormancy. Now this will preach, okay? Hang with me. There's another way that God breaks you and I out of dormancy. One of the ways is just add water, okay? Sometimes the moving of the Spirit is all that's needed. I've seen it in the Spirit before. God will be moving around the altars and I'm praying for people and all of a sudden I saw, I remember this young man that way back in her old building, he had gone to Bible school, really touched by God and I went over to him and I mean, if you would have slapped him on the back of him and <coughs> he was so dry and I saw him as a pack of soup, just add water, that's all it needed for everything God put within him to come out. He just needed some water. The power of God hit him and he was launched into new things in the spirit. So sometimes it's just a matter of getting where the spirit of God is pouring out. But I'm here to tell you, there are some seeds in your life and redwood seeds often have this dynamic happen to them. There are some seeds that are broken out of dormancy only by fire. And it's the heat of a forest fire that bakes that shell and cracks it open. And out of the fire, new life emerges. You ever seen someone burn the grass in their yard intentionally? And within a, a week or so, it comes up the brightest green. I mean, it looks beautiful. That new life has been released because they burned the old off. Sometimes the only way God can get the new life out of you is to put you through the fire. And there's this relatedness of redwoods that hang on to each other in the fire. Their bark itself is resilient to the flame. It doesn't have a lot of resin in it. It's kind of spongy. 
And in fact, sometimes redwood trees will burn on the inside. There'll be a, a hollow place on the inside. Birds will literally begin to live in it, but they continue to grow because the life is in the bark. There's a resiliency. And the new redwood trees are released. Those, those seeds are released out of dormancy. There is a future legacy of what God does in your life that is dependent upon you going through some fiery trials and you enduring some trials and going through the fire. And if you don't go through those things, there will be no release of the future legacy. You may have things to talk about in your own life, but you're not gonna be able to release it into others. So here's what I'm here to tell you this morning. You gotta go through the fire but you need other believers when you do it. I felt like the Lord spoke to me Wednesday morning as I was praying about this. And this is what I felt him say. It is not a coincidence that Bethel Church in Redding, California is in that part of the country that grows redwoods. It has become a prophetic sign of a house of giants. The leadership team out there, they've got hundreds of world-class leaders that could lead movements in and of themselves. But there's this cluster of leaders. I've often wondered about Weaverville, California. Bill Johnson, Chris Valentin, Brian and Jen Johnson, Danny Silk, all these world-class leaders and authors and uh, people who are being used so powerfully from the Lord came out of a city of 1,500 people. There's only two possibilities there. Either there was this disproportionate deposit of gold in them Thar Hills, or they understood how to break open the seeds and grow giants. I was just listening to Chris Valatin this morning, and he was talking about this young man that runs their entire prophetic ministry. He said, how long have we known each other? Said, you know, he said, my wife babysat you when you were a little kid. He's 49 years old. These people have been doing life together for a long time. If we can break into doing life together in unity, honoring the strength in one another, there are times in the storm where you need the other trees around you to carry you. And then there'll come a season where you're doing the carrying and the other one is doing the leaning. There is a blessing of unity that God wants to honor or offer to us as a church. The Lord was very, very clear with me all those years ago. I went into a vision out there in the hallway and I saw it on our property. And the Lord told me the dew of Hermon will be released here. And the principle of the dew of Hermon is this, that when it rains on one mountain, the other mountain gets wet because they're related. There's something about redwoods that they fight for one another's life. Whether they understand it or not, I don't know. But they strengthen one another. And they don't crowd one another out when reaching for the sky. They occupy space that's left, but they don't push into the other space because they have a vested interest in seeing them win. And that kind of heart is what it takes to grow 
a forest rather than a tree and a house of giants rather than a house of little saplings. So God is offering to us. He wants to release greater potential within this house and within each of our lives. I'm still haunted by Dean Briggs's, go ahead and stand so you know I'm gonna quit. Dean Briggs's comments when he was here about the large volume and the thin volume. God's wanting for us to step in and seize the larger volume over our life. He doesn't want you to stand before him having only scratched the surface of what he put within you. But I'm here to tell you, if you're gonna reach into that, it's gonna take relationships with other believers. There's gotta be a shared root system that we hold one another in the hard times, amen? Just go ahead and put your hands up. I wanna bless you. Father, Lord, we ask this morning, God, that you would open the eyes of our understanding. Lord, we want to be all you've called us to be. Lord, I'm asking that you deliver us from a false humility that settles for less than you've called us to. Lord, that leaves potential on the table out of a sense of humility that is actually a, a cover for disobedience and a lack of faith. Lord, we're asking that you would stir our hearts and Lord, that you would make us a people that champion one another. Lord, that we want to give all that is within us to see our brothers and sisters grow. There's such a thing as called a forest canopy. The forest canopy has to grow together. You can't have one giant redwood and a bunch of smaller trees. They have to grow together or they won't be sustainable. Lord, I'm asking God that you would release that over this house. That we would grow together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com give.